Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. I was there. Those three words can cause a lot of joy and maybe a bit of jealousy, right? Do you have an I was there moment? Maybe everybody saw the the concert, but you can say, I was there. Or everybody saw the sporting event, but you can say, I was there. Or everybody heard about the rally, but you can say, I was there. There's there's some power in those words, right? And again, they cause a lot of joy, but maybe, maybe a bit of jealousy. I was there. I love those moments. And I love hearing about those moments. And it's those three words that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Andrew and Nathaniel and James and Mary and Mary Magdalene can say when we talk about Jesus. They can say, I was there. I was there when water got turned into wine. I was there when the blind man could see. I was there when the lame man could walk. I was there when he died on a cross. I was there when the tomb was empty. And I was there when Jesus appeared to us. And then when he ascended back into heaven, I was there. I was there when Jesus did remarkable things and when he shared remarkable words. And some of the words that he shared was recorded by Matthew, who could say, I was there. And one of the things he records is one of the most extraordinary messages. We call it a sermon in the church world. One of the most extraordinary sermons that Jesus ever gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's in this sermon that Jesus actually shares about what it means to follow him and what life is like in the kingdom of God. And what he says was pretty hard, but also pretty hopeful. Here's some of the hard stuff. He said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away, it's better for you to to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. To which we would all go, wait, what are you talking about, Jesus? Now he's not asking us to actually go blind. That's not what he's inviting us into. And there's a lot here. We could spend some time talking about it. But essentially what Jesus is inviting us into is a life where we practice self-control and where we honor each other. Or another time, speaking of honoring each other, he says, you have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. To all of us, we would all say, yeah, of course, this is a good thing. But then he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Like for Jesus, like, Anger is equivalent to murder. And in this moment, again, he's inviting us to consider our emotions, to practice self-control so that we honor each other. And then some of the hopeful stuff, some of the good stuff is when he teaches us how to pray. He says that our prayer can begin this way with two really powerful words, our father, that you and I can approach God as a good dad, even if we didn't have a good dad on earth, or even if we did have a good dad, that our heavenly father is a good father. And he knows what we need and he cares for us. When he speaks about generosity, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In in other words, whatever you prioritize within your heart, it will overflow to your hands. It will show up in how you live your life and how you spend your money. Or when Jesus talks about love and what love requires, he said, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. According to Jesus, choosing to follow him and living life in the kingdom of God is not standing against those who stand against you. 
And then he lands the plane, ends with this little nugget. He says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And that's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what you're signing up for. This is what God will do in you and through you. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. And for clarity, he's not inviting us into a good way of life because it's good, although it is good. He's inviting us into life, the life that God has created us for. This life that gives life, not just to us, but to those around us. And it's a life that begins with God's good work in us. The promise of Jesus is that he's going to work these things in us as they come out of us, that he's not going to leave us or turn his back on us, that he's going to go through life with us. That's it's powerful, right? And what's even more powerful is how Jesus spoke. Like his words were irresistible to people. He, he spoke to everybody, no matter who they were or where they came from or what they looked like or even the gravity of their sin. Jesus spoke to everybody. His words were inviting They were irresistible. See, my words and your words, they can often divide. But when Jesus spoke, people people paid attention. And that really is the genius of Jesus. That really is the brilliance of who he is and what he says and what he's accomplished. And starting today and over the next few weeks, we just want to learn about the genius of Jesus. More specifically, we want to learn about his words and what they invite us into. We want to learn about what it means to follow Jesus and what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. This Sermon on the Mount, it actually invites us to consider a question. It's not stated, but it's implied as Jesus talks. And the question is this, how will you choose to live in this world? How will I choose to live in this world? How will we choose to live in this world? And Jesus begins implying that question in the letter that Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. And if you have a Bible or the Bible app, I want to invite you to turn there right now. And as you're turning there, I want to set the scene for you by talking about two specific things. The first thing is this, that choosing to follow Jesus is a choice. It's a decision. And you have the freedom and the ability to make that choice and that decision anytime you want. You can say yes, or you can say no. God has given you that that opportunity and that ability. The second thing that we discover is Jesus talks about living life in the kingdom of God and choosing to follow Jesus. Is he uses one word over and over and over again, and it's a word that affirms our choice. The word he uses is blessed. Now you and I may have heard that word often in our world. Maybe we even use it. We talk about how we're blessed or they're blessed or God bless. But when Jesus is using this word, he's actually talking about a posture of the heart, an emotion that we're feeling. The word literally translates happy or joyful. And he is saying that those who choose to follow Jesus, those who choose to live in the kingdom of God are happy and they're joyful despite the circumstances around them. They're happy and joyful. And here's why. Because the God of the universe is with them and for them and in them. That's essentially what he teaches us at the end of this Sermon on the Mount. That's the spoiler alert for you. When Jesus talks, he says, these people who choose to follow me, they are happier and they are more joyful because they're doing life with God because God is the author and the narrator and the giver and the creator of all life. All of that influences what Jesus has to say. And so let's get started in Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor 
when Jesus is referencing it here, he's not just talking about how little someone has. When Jesus is talking about poor here, he's talking about knowing our limits and acknowledging that God is limitless. In other words, it could be read this way. Blessed are those who fill their poverty because to confess our poverty is to be close to God. Blessed are those who feel their limits and then confess their limits because that draws them close to the limitless God. Now, this this phrase, close to God, is a phrase that we often use in the religious world, in the faith world, as we're talking about Jesus. We long to be close to God. We desire to be close to God. But sometimes it feels a bit elusive. Sometimes it feels like we, we can't get there, not because God isn't close, but because sometimes we just don't sense it or feel it or experience God in, in, in his closeness. And so we, we wonder, how do we, how do we draw close? And this is why I love the scriptures and the stories of the scriptures, these true stories of men and women who are choosing to follow Jesus, to honor God with their life, because there are some directives on drawing close to God, but then there are also some stories that teach us some principles that we can learn, some keys in our drawing close to God. And one of those stories is from the life of John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus, and there's this moment where he drops two really great nuggets about drawing close to God that I want to share with you, but I want to share it in context. And so if you can take a moment to turn to John chapter 3, verse 23, the verses will be on the screen for you as well. Here's what happens in that moment, and here's what John has to say about that. Now, John was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming to be baptized. And an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over a matter of ceremonial washing. Now, ceremonial washing was the way that the Jewish people would draw close to God. They would have to go to the temple, and before they would go to the temple, they would wash their hands. And sometimes, because of the gravity of their sin, they would have to immerse themselves in water. It was a sign that they had been cleansed by God. It was their way to know that they have been made right with God, forgiven by God, and they have drawn close to God. And in this moment, as John is baptizing people, there's a few of his friends that are there, and then there's this Jewish man, and they begin to argue about best practices. Like, where do you draw close to God, and how do you draw close to God, and what steps do you need to take, and what decisions do you need to make? And then they bring John into the discussion, and it it feels like they start to wonder about what they've been given and compare it to everything else around them. They're wondering if God has really been fair to them, because they say this to John. They say, Rabbi, That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. Now, for clarity, that man that they're talking about is Jesus, God in the flesh. And they're saying, hey, more people are going to Jesus than you, John. Are you frustrated with that? Like, what's the best way forward to draw close to God? What what are the principles? What are the practices? Where are the places? What do we do? Are you upset that more people are going over there? What about what you have? And John responds in a really powerful way. And it's a good word for your life and for my life. And it's one of the keys to drawing close to God. He says this, a person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. In other words, what John is saying is, it's like, God's given me this ability and this opportunity, and I'm going to be grateful for it. And I'm not going to look around and be jealous of what God has given you or given them. I'm going to celebrate that. Because if I'm not grateful for what God has provided for me, then I'm going to miss God using me for something significant in this world. And John's like, this is, this is why I'm here. This is why I came. And then 
just in case they miss that, he brings clarity. He says, you yourselves can testify. You can affirm that I said that I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. I've been given this chance to tell people the story of Jesus. So the people that are going over to the other side of the Jordan to see him, that's a good thing. That's why I'm here. And I'm grateful that God has provided me this opportunity and given me this ability to do that. Like it's in this moment, John recognizes his limits and that God is limitless. And he's grateful that he gets to participate in the kingdom of God. And then he like takes it aside. It's like a pause where he just wants to talk about what God is doing in their midst right now. Because these guys, they're arguing about best practices and principles and religious activity. And he's like, guys, you're missing it. You're missing the posture of your heart and the decision in your mind. You're missing it. He says this, Jesus is here. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom and waits and listens for him. And he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Like John gives us this image of a wedding, of a marriage between heaven and earth because God is here. He's the guy baptizing over there. And John's like, I'm here to point people to Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. And that has allowed me to remain close. But then he emphasizes that closeness with another posture of the heart, another key to drawing close. He says this, that Jesus, talking about Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. John says, listen, here's how I want to live my life. Less of me and more of God. Less of me and more of God. The key to drawing close to God is that you are grateful for what he has given you and you choose a posture of humility because you have limits and God is limitless. What John is presenting to these friends as he's talking is essentially the same question that Jesus is asking us to consider. How are we going to live in this world? How will you live in this world? How will I live in this world? Because we have a choice, right? Following Jesus is a choice. And the choice that's presented to us here, that John presents to his friends, that Jesus is presenting to us through the Sermon on the Mount is this. Are we going to live a life where we are living in the rhythm of being poor in spirit? Or are we going to live a life where we're living in the rhythm of being proud in spirit? And here's the difference. When we choose to be proud in spirit, we are convinced that we are the main character of the story. That my life is all about what I do and the decisions I make and the things that I'm learning and what I'm accomplishing and discovering and where I'm helping. And by the way, those things are not bad, wrong, or sinful. But here's where it becomes problematic. When you have set yourself up as the standard of life in your life, and then you mess things up. That's where it becomes problematic. Now, we have this phrase in our world that we use even in the secular culture, even in the religious culture. We, we always say like, nobody's perfect, right? So here's what it means. When, when you are the main character of your story and you're the standard in life, you're going to mess things up. What do you do then? You have no one to go to because you're the standard. You have no one to turn to because you're supposed to fix it. You're in charge of your redemption and your reconciliation and your restoration. You're in charge of everything. So what do you do? This is the problem with living a life that's proud In spirit, it can be overwhelming and it can be exhausting. And it's why Jesus says, happy are those who recognize their limits and acknowledge the limitless God. They are people that live in the rhythm of being poor in spirit. They acknowledge that Jesus is the main character of the story. What he has done, his word, his works, 
Those things get the loudest volume knob. They get turned up in our story. That's what we speak about and point people to. Even if we think we have a better idea or a better thought or a better way, we submit and surrender to the idea of Jesus, to the way of Jesus, to the thought of Jesus, to the wisdom of Jesus. That actually is much more freeing. And it's why Jesus says, these people are happy. These people are joyful. And these people will live in the kingdom of God. They will experience what the kingdom of God is like. They will know the joy and freedom of following me. Because when you live in the rhythm of being poor in spirit, you have nothing to protect, nothing to possess, and nothing to prove. Can we talk about those three things? Let's talk about what it means to live a life where you have nothing to protect. When you feel like you have to protect something, it'll cause you to pretend. It'll cause you to present a false self. And and, and here's, here's how you know you're pretending in life or you're protecting something in life. When you're afraid to be found out, when you're, when you're scared that someone's going to know about the thing that only you know, that's when you know that you're trying to protect something in you. And what happens when you're trying to protect something in you is you will never, you will never seek help. You will never hold on to hope that things can get better. Which is why Jesus says, happy and joyful are those who are poor in spirit. Because the poor in spirit choose a life that isn't covered up, but covered over. That that phrase covered over is a phrase that comes from the Jewish culture. We call it atonement. When Jesus dies on the cross and offers forgiveness, he is covering over our sin and removing sin from us. It's like like being embraced in in a giant hug. Do you have a good hugger in your life? Somebody who doesn't hug for too long to where it gets a little awkward, right? But somebody that can embrace you and their hugs just bring energy and love and comfort and peace to you. That's what atonement is. It's covering over. James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way, that love covers a multitude of sin. And it doesn't just cover it up and pretend it's not there, but it removes it. And that's why we can live as people that have nothing to protect. Because we've asked God for help. We know our limits and we know he's limitless. And the poor in spirit have nothing to possess. We're choosing to live a life where the goods that we have can bring good to the world around us. Like everything that we have, we believe it's not just for us, but it actually is to benefit those around us. That's called generosity. And generosity is good because selfishness is always at our doorstep, isn't it? Easy to be selfish. It's courageous to be generous. And there is a difference between being a giver and practicing generosity. Both are good, by the way. But a giver needs a good story that stirs them up to give, right? That causes them to give. But somebody who's generous, they don't need a good story. You know why? Because they know the story of God. They don't need their emotions stirred because they have been rescued and saved by the person and work of Jesus. And the poor in spirit are people who are open with their time and their money and their resources. They've got nothing to possess. They've got nothing to protect and they've got nothing to prove. Living a life where you have to prove yourself is an exhausting way of life. And we are people that are approval and affirmation magnets. We want people to see us, know us, hear us, and value us. We want to know that we matter. None of that's bad. The problem is, is we just go about it in a really unhealthy way. 
And that's why Jesus invites us to turn our attention to God, who is limitless, and He meets us in our limited life. And Jesus can, Jesus can, can relate to this. Like He can empathize and sympathize with us because not only is He fully God, but He's fully human. And He faced the temptation of needing to prove Himself. Like there's this moment where he's, he's baptized. And his baptism was his acknowledgement that he has submitted and surrendered to our Heavenly Father, to the way of the kingdom of God. And when he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up. John writes this down. And he says that this voice from heaven, God the Father says, this is my son whom I love, whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And then right after that, Jesus goes into the desert and fasts for 40 days. Now, I haven't fasted in a long time, but if I'm going to fast, I'm going to do it on my couch, right? I'm going to do it on my lazy boy. I'm not going to go to the desert. But Jesus goes to the desert to prepare himself for the ministry that he came to do, to seek and to save that which was lost. And then Satan shows up. The devil shows up. And maybe you struggle with the word Satan or the devil, but the thing that we take serious around here is what Jesus takes serious, that there is an enemy. And he shows up and actually physically tempts Jesus to prove himself. It's like he's saying, listen, I heard what God the Father said about you. that You are the Son. You are the Messiah. But I need you to prove it. And a lot of us feel that temptation. A lot of us feel that desire to prove ourselves. Jesus actually responds to that temptation with the truth about who he is and the truth about what God is doing. He uses the word of God to fight back that temptation, and we can too. And a part of what we learn from Jesus in this moment is that the poor in spirit quietly rest in who Jesus says that they are because they know what is true about them because they heard it from God. When you live in the rhythm of being poor in spirit, you got nothing to protect and nothing to possess, and you got nothing to prove. But you do have a choice on how you're going to live in this world. Proud in spirit or poor in spirit? And listen, you cannot live in the kingdom of God when you're trying to be the ruler of your own kingdom, when you're trying to be the main character of this kingdom. God has invited you to recognize your limits and to acknowledge that he is limitless. God has invited you to have Jesus be the main character in your story. And when he is, new things, new things come, new things rise up. Maybe for you, a a second question you can ask as you're wrestling with how you want to live in this world, a second question could be, well, is Jesus really Lord of my life? Is he the main character in my story? And if new things aren't rising up, then there's your answer. But if new things are coming out of you, then that helps you to know that Jesus is leading you. And if you're not sure about that, let me give you some help. If you see selfishness rising out of you, that's not new. But if you see generosity, a a selflessness coming out of you. That, my friends, is new. If you see arrogance coming out of you, that's not new. If you see humility, that's new. If there's a self-righteousness rising out of you, that's not new. But if it's self-awareness, that's new. If you spend all of your time thinking about you and spending your resources on you, that's not you. That's not new. But what's new is when you actually connect your heart to your hand and you are someone that builds the church and the kingdom of God and the people around you. If grudges are things that you're hanging on to, that's not new. If forgiveness is something you're considering, that's new. If gossip is something that is overflowing from your heart through your mouth, that's not new. But if celebrating others is something that you are, are doing regularly, that's new. 
author and speaker and pastor Eugene Peterson, after reading the Sermon on the Mount, responded with some really incredible words. Here's what he said. Scripture doesn't present us with a moral code or tell us to live up to this, nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say, hey, think like this and you will live well. Rather, the biblical way is to tell a story and in telling, invite us into living this way. This is what it looks like to be human in this God-made, God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming and maturing as a human being. The invitation of Eugene Peterson in his interpretation of the scriptures is not that we would find all of these practices that makes us better or these religious principles that make us better. This is the argument, by the way, that's happening between John and his disciples and this Jewish man. Eugene Peterson says, no, Jesus models for us a better story, a hopeful story, a life-giving story, and invites us to say yes to that story. And then along the way, we learn great theology and great doctrine and great practices, but it's the story of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and the words of Jesus that changes us. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's an invitation. That's the genius of Jesus. He doesn't divide us. He invites us into new things. That's why he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And listen, friends, the kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to those who believe that they are the gift in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are aware that Jesus is the gift. And so how will you choose to live in this world? How will you choose to live today? Right now? What will happen after you turn off the podcast or turn off this live stream? How will you choose to live? Based upon what Jesus has invited us into. Will you continue to be proud in spirit or will you actually choose a new way to be poor in spirit? Because those who are poor in spirit, according to Jesus, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want people to see God? They will see God in what he's doing in you and through you. The veil between heaven and earth gets really thin when you and I recognize our limits and submit and surrender to the limitless God. How will you choose to live in this world? It's a question I want you to consider. And if you're not sure how to get started, let me help you get started. This is why we do First Step at Active. Our next first step is February 27th on campus in Ukaipa at 1015. You'll hear more about it in the announcements. But friends, this is one of the best things that you can do to hear the values of active. And then we're, we're gonna invite you to get involved because often we wanna do great things. We just don't know how to do great things. We don't have a place to do great things. We're not around people who are doing great things. First step is your first opportunity to do great things, to acknowledge your limits and to, to announce that God is limitless. To, to thank God for the opportunity and your abilities and to, to say, I just, want, I just want less of me and more of God. So I would encourage you to write down on your calendar first step on February 27th because we want to live in this world with more hope and more love and more generosity. We want to live in this world with more courage, and more of Jesus. Let me pray for you. And so Heavenly Father, in these words, we, we hear you. It's with these words that you're placing in our hearts that we need to respond. And so I pray that our response would not be, hey, we want to continue to be proud in spirit that we would submit and surrender to you and live in a way that's poor in spirit. May we be people that recognize what you have given us and that we get to participate in what you're doing on this planet, on this earth, in our stories. And we thank you that you haven't pushed us to the side, but that you have renewed and redeemed and restored and 
reconciled us to you through the work of Jesus. So may we be people that say yes to you. May we be people that see new things coming from what you're doing in us. And may we choose to live a life that is poor in spirit, that acknowledges your, your strength and your courage, our limits and your limitless. And may the kingdom of God be on earth because of what you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Yukaipa. See you next time.